179. Time Management After two subjective days of gruelling soul work, Rain woke, had a quick breakfast with Amelia, then left to freshen the camp and seek out Roma, before either of them got caught up in something. He found the rune scribe picking up a large urn of ink from Myth. In the following conversation, he learned that the shininess of the liquid didn't only come from Tell, but also from arcane Christs, though not as many of them. For muffle runes, Roma needed arcane aspected ink. And that's where myth came in. Normally, when Tell and Chris were shattered, which took quite a bit of doing, they would dissolve away into nothing, much like the bizarre Tell metal alloy Tallheart had made once upon a time. It took an alchemist to properly powder them and bind them to the pigments. The runes themselves were interesting too. Unlike the spell they were named after, and unlike the muffler Tallheart had made for the forge wagon, currently quietening the steam engine powering the camp's lighting, Roma's runes didn't dampen sound in an area. Instead, they blocked it, following the surface of whatever they were painted on. When multiple runes were used, they linked up with each other in some way that Rain didn't understand, basically forming a shell of silence through which sound could not pass. This was a significant step up. Unlike with the muffler, one could hold a private conversation inside the protected space, without resorting to hand code. One caveat to all of this was that mana manipulation couldn't charge runes directly. Specially designed intake runes were needed for that, and while Roma could draw them, he hadn't yet worked out how to link them to anything else. Until he figured that out, he and Tallheart would be the only ones able to recharge the muffle formations via the Energize rune skill. Myth's ink was capable of holding enough mana to power a muffle rune for a few days, so it wasn't exactly a problem, but it did mean more tell spent. Crafting was expensive. While it was true that Rain Tallheart and Amelia had brought back a small mountain of Tell and Chris from the depths, the company's only real source of income right now was Dozer. Rain had several experiments queued up related to the slime's money conjuring, but as things stood, the tiny essence slime was only able to condense a dozen or so Tell in a day before he began refusing Rain's manner. Unless that changed, there would simply be no way he could keep up with demand. Bidding Roma farewell, off to visit Tallheart and Starvo as his first customers, Rain went to find his adjutant. At his request, Tarni had collected a list of items requiring either the captain's authority or his particular set of skills. First up was a quick meeting with Samson on the camp's defences in which Rain learned that one of the hunting teams had encountered a crawler vine yesterday. He readily agreed with Samson's suggestion that the teams be doubled up for safety, given the danger that the animate plants presented. Torhart would be pleased to learn they were around, certainly, but for humans there was no upside. They weren't even monsters, somehow, so they didn't drop tell. 
The next item on Tarni's list brought rain down to the blasted area he'd created the day before. People had started referring to it as the Scar, and the plan was to use it as a staging ground for the caravan. The far bank of the stream was a bustle with activity, but Rain's current task had him visiting Corin and Clubs, who were presently working on this site to deepen the stream and dry and flatten the surrounding area. As a geomancer and a hydromancer, they were both able to sculpt mud, using earth manipulation and water manipulation respectively. In speaking with them, Rain learned that the two skills seemed to synergize when used in tandem, becoming surprisingly efficient for this task. As promising as that discovery was for the future, it was still a large area they'd been asked to deswamp, and that was where Rain came in. The moment he'd finished refilling their mana pools, however, Tarni pulled him away, off to the next item on the list. That turned out to be the authority-requiring kind, a meeting with Vanna and May Agreement to discuss the plan for the caravan. Rain and Tarni crossed the stream, not using the partially constructed bridge Vestval's carpenters were working on, but simply wading across. Once the bridge was finished and the ground was dry, the entire camp would be moved to the far side, but for now only the logging operation had been relocated. The second of Ascension's two steam engines had already been set up to drive the table saw, and without a muffler, it was making quite a racket. Sheena was nearby, using her skills as a woodsmith, Rain still couldn't believe they called it that, to strip the bark from the planks the saw operators were piling beside her straightening them while she was at it. The loggers weren't why he was here, though. Vanna and the mayor were up near the tree line, so Rain waded through the mud to meet them, leaving Tarni behind to use Fall on the collection of workers while the leaders spoke. Because why not? The meeting, mercifully, didn't take that long. With everyone being in general agreement on the plan and the path they'd take down to the plains, when it was over with, Rain slogged back to Tani, cleaned the mud from anyone in range, recharged Sheena and then Corin and Clubs for a second time. Only then did he head back to the main camp, this time to see to a matter of justice. Yesterday afternoon, while Rain had been out on his jog with Jameis, Smelt had been taking his daily inventory and had discovered a pair of enchanted aluminum longswords missing from the armory tent. He'd then gone to find Gardner, Rain being unavailable, and the tracker had used Follow Trail to track down every single person who'd visited the tent since it had been set up, proving that tracking skills were bullshit. The culprit turned out to be a Vestvalian grocer by the name of Loris. A search of his belongings had revealed the swords wrapped up in a spare bedroll. Loris, of course, had denied everything, claiming ignorance of how the swords had gotten there and that he hadn't ever set foot in the armory tent, never mind that Gardner was able to match the very boots the man was wearing to the tracks, never mind that he'd been badgering Smelt to sell him one of the swords for weeks now, despite being told that Ascension's equipment was not for sale, never mind that several people had seen him carrying an oddly shaped oblong bundle through the camp yesterday during the party. The trial went quickly, 
ending with a confession in the face of the overwhelming evidence combined with some highly effective looming. Laris, it turned out, wasn't a total idiot, just the kind that thought stealing from the Awakened who were helping you was a good idea and didn't understand how divination skills worked. He'd been well aware that there was no one out here to sell the swords to. His plan had been to carry them all the way to Three Cliffs, operating under the assumption that Rain's detection wouldn't be able to sense the metal. That just left the question of what to do with him. Rather than slapping the thief with a fine for the cost of what he'd stolen, which was basically impossible to determine, as aluminum was unknown to the market at large, or lop off his hands, which was suggested a depressing number of times by people who should have known better, Rain sentenced him to time out. Laris would be free to make himself useful, such as on the axe teams or the construction crews, but otherwise it was imprisonment, and basic rations only, while he thought about what he'd done, in a cage they'd need to construct specially for him, which was yet another thing to deal with. This wasn't the first trial Rain had presided over since Vestval, but it was the first that resulted in serious punishment. Unfortunately, it wasn't to be the last, as bad things tended to come in pairs. With Laris handled, he now had to deal with the matter of Mig and Del, the two aspirants who'd been tasked with securing the armory during the party. They'd abandoned their post to join the festivities, allowing the theft in the first place. That was arguably the bigger crime, given what was in there. All the enchanted aluminum equipment Torhart had made, a considerable quantity of Tell and Chris, Hagar's sword and Anton's bow, both still bound after all this time. More. Rain had only trusted aspirants with the task in the first place, for the very reason that there was no place for a potential thief to go. Clearly, he'd have to revise his policy. Using the codes as his guide, Rain fined Mig and Dell in credits so heavily that they'd be paying it off for months, given the lack of potential jobs in an unranked zone. Even doing that much had been hard for Rain. Unlike Loris, he knew these two, liked them even. But he couldn't just let it go. He didn't want Ascension to be a military company with strict discipline rigid hierarchy, salutes, titles, and so forth, but neither could he allow it to be comprised of complete rabble. Discipline was a balance, and it was his job to ensure that it was maintained. Such were the woes of being in charge. Further woes followed, dozens of tiny things needing his attention, from arguing with the nobles to reviewing scout reports to hearing petitions. Most of the last were trivial, easily settled or delegated, but one of them stood out, meriting more consideration. Ujesh and Finn wanted to leave on a multiple-day monster hunt. It wasn't the first time they'd asked. As a tamer and an arcane shifter, respectively, both were struggling to advance. The only monsters they had easy access to were the crystal slimes the company had carried here all the way from Vestval and Dozer, technically, but he didn't count, being bonded to Rain and thus immune to their skills. 
Ujesh could have easily bonded any of the slimes, but he hadn't. Not even one of the greater variety. Crystal slimes had basically zero combat ability, and tamer bonds couldn't be revoked without a skill in a tier he didn't have access to. Finn had a different problem. Arcane shifters could inherently reacquire monster patterns, though they only had one transformation slot to start. Overwriting it basically meant starting over without any of the alterations you'd made to your form. That was a minor issue. The real problem was that being a crystal slime was apparently quite unpleasant. Finn had gone into great detail, describing the claustrophobic lack of sight, the unsettling bonelessness, and the overwhelming urge to clean everything in hearing. The echolocation and the difficult-to-describe full-body-taste-smell-sense were also problems. The total package worked great for Dozer, but for a human mind it was a bit much. Especially when you considered the transformation process itself. Feeling your skeleton dissolve while your skin sloughed off, only to reform into the clear gelatinous membrane that would contain your newly liquefied organs. Needless to say, Finn wanted something with a more familiar body plan. The trouble was finding it. Decently leveled monsters weren't unheard of in unranked zones, as Rain had discovered when he'd gone out to track down a murder beaver. But they weren't exactly hiding behind every bush and tree branch. Finn and Ujesh would have been over the moon to encounter anything as strong as a skiffin. Generally, monsters outside ranked zones were aberrant, having spawned gained some level of intelligence, then left to wander in contradiction of their instincts. It wasn't likely that such a monster would mindlessly attack the cavern as a younger one might. They would be old enough and smart enough to know better. A smaller group, therefore, would have a much higher chance of being attacked. Hence the request. After some discussion, Rain decided that the potential benefits outweighed the risks, now that they were stopped then authorized a five-day scouting and hunting expedition. He called for Roos and Gardner, diviner and tracker, to go with them, to which they readily agreed, given the chance it would give them to practice their skills. To keep the four utility classes safe, Rain then recruited Lin and Maharia, who had been lazing about nearby and not doing anything productive. Six people was probably pushing it, but it was a damn sight better than 800. Before they'd left, Rain had discreetly called Maharia aside, then given her a pair of accolades for messaging in the case of an emergency. He hoped that by trusting her with the secret, minor as it was, she'd feel more closely bound to the company as a result. He also hoped that the responsibility would encourage her to take things seriously. He'd almost picked Kettle to go for a similar reason, Fortunately, he'd regained his sanity in time. Kettle, along with most of the other combat mages, had gone down to the Scar for magic practice, while Rain had been busy with the petitions. As soon as Rain was free, and before Tarni could appear with more work for him, he decided to head down there himself. There was something he wanted to see to on his personal to-do list, rather than the company's. He didn't need Kettle for that, though, but rather Nails. 
When he arrived, he found the mentalist indeed there, but he was presently in combat, facing off against Delphina in a one-on-one duel. Val was supervising, and a bit of a crowd had joined the other mages to watch at a much safer distance. Rain surreptitiously inserted himself into the spectators, as surreptitiously as his height and recognizable armor would allow, then turned his attention to the combatants. Both wore leather helms, gambesons, and padded leggings. They had small aluminum bucklers held in one hand, leaving the other free for magic. Neither of them spoke as they circled each other, but that was hardly surprising given who they were. Val was wearing a patient expression, watching with his arms crossed. His rapidly tapping foot gave away his real feelings on the standoff. From the equipment, it was clear what drill they were doing. The goal here would be to strike your opponent's body, which was made difficult by the attractive force of the metal bucklers. It was less about raising skill levels and more about mastery of one's domain. Seinfeld references aside, it was important training, just as Amelia could shove a healing word through metal armor someone else was wearing, a practiced mage would be able to keep the bucklers from disrupting their spells. It was easier for your own buckler, as long as you kept it away from your casting hand, that was, but to have any hope at all of getting past your opponent's buckler, a spell had to be cast perfectly, with no environmental leakage whatsoever. The only way to do that was to practice until you had ground the skill's mana pattern into your very soul. Or so it was said. In Rain's case, such considerations were mostly academic. With all the experience he'd spent on skill trees, his soul was stronger than it had any right to be. Controlling things within his own domain wasn't trivial, but brute force went a long way. Outside his domain, he didn't need finesse either. Auras burned environmental manner, catalyzing it as they went everywhere and hit everything. If his spell patterns leaked, so what? It was just more fuel for the fire. And if there was any minor efficiency loss, again, so what? He was an engine of change. He oozed mana out of every pore just sitting there. Rain had obviously tried on and off to refine his own magic anyway, but it was more out of a desire to understand than for any immediate benefit. Unfortunately, he'd had little to no success. Mana manipulation was a blunt tool, and the mana patterns Rain's skills followed were both hellishly complicated and just stupid fast. It grew exponentially worse the more metamagic you threw into the mix. At maximum focus boost, Rain thought that maybe, just maybe, he might have detected a few places where energy wasn't flowing properly, but he still hadn't been able to do anything about them. Harken all the way back to when he'd first tried messing with Purify in the Felsidanus Guild Hall. Any attempt to change a skill's pattern resulted in its total collapse. There were probably several hundred to-dos on Rain's list about the topic at this point. None of them, however, were high priority. For people who needed to aim, it was much more important. Starvo, for example could snipe a fly out of the air with an ice bolt so clear and razor-sharp that it looked like a crystalline dagger. When Maharia used the same spell, 
She conjured jagged bluish chunks, launched amid swirls of frost. Starvo didn't have her levels, and with less metamagic boosting the spell, there was less energy to control. That wasn't the main reason for him being so much better. He'd literally been using the spell since before she'd been born. Without warning, Nails gestured with his free hand, pulling Rain out of his musing. A wispy cloud of pink energy shot to a Delphina, and Rain immediately placed the skill as a mental blast, the only spell in Tier Zero psionics. He was intimately familiar with it, having tanked many a shot while training Mental Ward. The colour was also a dead giveaway. The appearance of spells varied from person to person, and in rarer cases so did their effects. Some, like Chamis, could nudge a spell's colour slightly depending on their whims. Generally, though, each element had a colour. Mental spells were some shade of pink, 99 times out of 100. If the colour bothered Nails, he never complained. Not that the man ever complained about anything. Delphina darted left, her long black hair streaking from beneath her helmet as she raised her buckler to block. Despite beginning to curve toward the metal at the last instant, the shot still missed wide, streaking toward the watching crowd only to vanish upon reaching its maximum range. Delphina, meanwhile, had already responded in kind, jabbing a gloved hand at nails with two fingers extended. Like liquid fire from a flamethrower, a thumb-thick orange beam lanced toward the mentalist as he raised his own shield to block. Magma Ray was Tier 1, and while it had the same damage as the Tier 0 Solar Ray, it was quite a bit slower. It was infinitely better than resisting metal's pull, due to the physicality of its image, though. This proved to be insufficient. The beam curved to strike Nail's shield in the dead centre. Rain let out a sigh of relief, only now realising that he'd been holding his breath. Though it looked deadly, Magma Ray was probably the least dangerous of Delphina's options in the context of training. Ray of Eclipse, for example, would have been a terrible choice. Burns could be healed, but the side effects of dark damage were quite a bit more problematic. Even indirect exposure could result in loss of feeling and crushing despair that lingered for hours. Healing Word wasn't designed to counter such things, and neither Merrick nor Tahir had advanced far enough as healers to unlock any skills that were. The next minute or so devolved into a violent back-and-forth exchange, both combatants darting around flinging deadly magic at each other without uttering so much as a word. The only sound came from Val's occasional call-outs and from the crowd's exclamations whenever there was a particularly close call. Neither Nails nor Delphina used anything other than the two spells they'd already displayed, as per the rules of the drill. Nails could have won pretty much instantly with a few casts of Bamboozle, a debuff that fired in a wide cone causing, well, bamboozlement. But winning wasn't the point. Someone did win, though. The furious exchange ended when Nails failed to raise his shield in time and Delphina's magma ray clipped the top of his helmet. Val immediately called a halt, Though Nails wasn't harmed in the slightest, likely having several heat-resistance rings tucked away on the hand behind his shield. Of the two, Delphina had been the one in more danger in this bout. Ascension still didn't have access to mental crisps, 
so she would likely be using strength rings to boost her health. Rain smiled, walking forward and thinking of how far Ascension had come, as Val called the two combatants to him. As Rain drew nearer, he saw that Delphina looked like she wanted to run and hide, out in public like this, having just won, and with Val singing her praises, she was in serious danger of shutting down completely. Rain increased his pace, arriving before Val could do anything stupid, like grabbing her hand to raise it in victory. Rain, Val said, laughing and greeting Rain with a wave. These two have come a long way. We'll make proper duelists of them yet. I'm glad you're having fun, Val, Rain replied, smiling easily. Nails, Delphina, good work, both of you. Nails nodded to Rain in silent acknowledgement, while Delphina looked like she'd like nothing better than to curl up in a ball and rock gently back and forth. However, after a moment, she surprised Rain by taking a deep breath, then meeting his eyes. Thanks, she mumbled, before quickly looking away. Rain hid his smile. Progress. Can't rush it, though. Clearing his throat, he turned back to Val. Sorry to disrupt your training, but I need to borrow nails for a bit. Are you done with these two? Except for the formalities, Val said, motioning to Nails and Delphina. Okay, come here. Bow. Then thank your opponent for the duel. Nails bowed, and a moment later Delphina followed suit. Though neither of them said anything. Val rolled his eyes, but apparently judged this sufficient. Good work, Delphina. You can go. Nails, let's see what the captain wants of you. Please tell me it's a duel. Yes, but actually no, Rain replied, smiling as Delphina nodded to Val, then turned to walk briskly away. A brisk walk was quite a bit better than the terrified sprint he was expecting. She really was getting better with her social anxiety, as if the fact that she'd been out here at all hadn't been proof enough. He turned to look at Nails. It's like a duel, in that I'm going to be standing here while Nail pummels me with magic. More worth training? Val asked. Burring. Rain wiggled a hand. Yes and no. You up for this, Nails? Nails shrugged. Sure, need mana. Rain tilted his head in acknowledgement, then activated Essence Well. Don't worry, I won't drain you dry today. Nails grunted. It's fine, getting used to it. Rain grinned, dropping Essence Well. That's sink for you. Right, have at it then, Val said taking the aluminum shield from Nails and retreating toward the crowd. Try not to break him. I'm just gonna go start the next match. Watching you fight anyone other than Amelia is worse than watching grass grow. Rain laughed, then slipped on his helmet as he adjusted his combat macros. He lowered his visor, then beckoned to Nails with his fingers. Unmodded mental blast, please. I'm testing some defense settings related to timing, so please cast it on cooldown. Nails nodded in confirmation, and without any further discussion, he raised a hand, wispy pink bolts streaking toward rain one after the other, 
only to be swallowed by his thirsty armor. Damage num shh. Version 0.3.2. Mental damage detected. Saturation plus 119. Mental resist 8. Original damage 127. Damage num shh. Version 0.3.2. Mental damage detected. Saturation plus 89. Mental resist 8. Original damage 97. Damage num shh. Version 0.3.2. Mental damage detected. Saturation, 102. Mental resist, 8. Original damage, 110. Rain raised mental ward after the third shot, to make things simple. He used a helper script to set the power to exactly 100. Mental ward wasn't like force ward. There were no issues with excessive mana consumption when trying for a full block. Wardhelper.sh. Target equals 100%. Channel mastery set to plus 0.016. Mental ward 10 out of 15. Increase mental resistance by 100% for all entities. Range 32.8 meters. Cost 1.016 MP per damage mitigated. At the same time he activated the skill, Rain shifted his perspective, explicitly prioritizing the defense of his health first, saturation second, and mana third. Without making a mental effort, Mental Ward wouldn't even trigger, his armor being perfectly capable of swallowing such puny attacks on its own. When the next bolt arrived, it struck a translucent distortion in the air, the energy dissipating like ripples on a pond. The effect was practically identical to that of Force Ward, only tinted pink. Rain let two more bolts strike just as before. He'd calculate averages for all this later and compare them against the spell's natural variation. Damagenum.sh Mental damage detected. Mana, minus 120. Mental ward, 100%. Rate, 1.016 MP per damage. Mental resistance, 8. Original damage, 126. Mental damage detected. Mana, minus 111. Mental resist, 8. Original damage, 117. Mental damage detected. Mana, minus 97. Original damage, 103. After three hits, Rain pushed Channel Mastery along the spell's new, unfamiliar axis, ignoring Mental Ward to speed up. The skill card changed, showing a loss of efficiency, but there was no mention of a change in the tick rate, as there had been when he tested this with his other auras. Mental Ward 10 out of 15. Increase mental resistance by 100% for all entities. Range, 32.8 meters. Cost, 1.27 MP per damage mitigated. Mental damage detected. Mana, minus 129. Original damage, 109. Mental damage detected. Mana, minus 142. Original damage, 119. Mental damage detected. Mana, minus 130. Original damage, 110. Okay, so speeding it up is a bad idea, as expected. How about the other way? Mental Ward, 10 out of 15. Increase mental resistance by 100% for all entities. Range, 32.8 meters. Cost, 0.8469 MP per damage mitigated. Cooldown, 1.2 seconds. A cooldown? He raised an eyebrow. Now that's new. 
DamageNum.sh, version 0.3.2. Mana minus 97. Original damage 122. Mental damage detected. Saturation plus 123. Original damage 131. Mental damage detected. Mana minus 101. Original damage 127. Rain smiled. So that's how it works. Cool. And my scripts didn't break for once. He raised a hand, motioning to Nails as the last strike fell. That's good, you can stop for a bit. Lifting his visor so he could scratch his beard, Rain took a moment to think. Okay. So when I speed up the tick, it does basically nothing. Which makes sense with how the system treats damage on the receiving end. If I slow it down, stuff can get through in the dead time. But each individual block is stronger. Lowering his visor again, he motioned to Nails. One more, please. Nails nodded, then fired. The instant before the first bolt could have hit, Rain raised his ward, still configured with a 1.2 second tick. Mental damage detected. Mana minus 100. Original damage, 126. Mental damage detected. Saturation, plus 94. Original damage, 102. Stronger block on the first, then no block on the second, so it's a cooldown exactly like it says. Not a channel time. Good to be sure about that. The system's never lied to me, but it sure loves emitting stuff. Chuckling, he removed his helmet, then nodded to Nails. Thanks. Welcome. Nails grunted, beginning to turn away, but stopping when Rain raised a hand. There's one more thing I need your help with. We don't need the dueling field for that, though. He jerked his head back toward the camp. Join me? We need to find Amelia. Nails nodded, removing his own helmet. Okay. His brown hair, which had been starting to thin when Rain had first met him, had recently been regaining ground, awakening at work. After a quiet walk back to the main camp, Rain found Amelia still in their tent. Unlike this morning, hers had been outward and tranquil, as she'd elected to spend it working on her soul. Apparently there were trees that needed fixing. He could sympathize. The bastion was a mess. Bad enough that starting over with the new image was starting to seem pretty attractive. It was on the back burner, though as the patch holding his paling together was more important. Inviting Nails into the tent, Rain explained what he wanted, quietly so as not to disturb Amelia. Then he sat beside her and retreated to his soul to wait for Nails to send the time. Message, it turned out, didn't have the same problem as the King Link when it came to time dilation. Or rather it did, but with an asterisk. Where Rain had expected Nails to sound like Treebeard on Valium, he'd instead gotten single words with long pauses in between. Each word was spoken at a normal rate. What do you call a free humped camel? And so forth. When Amelia had helped Rain with this the last time, the time acceleration hadn't been so extreme so the effect hadn't really been noticeable. Nor nearly as annoying. Regardless, 
Despite the new entries on Rain's to-do list for determining how and why, the effect was welcome. It meant that as the acceleration continued to increase, inbound communication would remain possible. Once Nails transmitted the first number of the second timestamp, Rain calibrated his clocks, then took a moment to work out the time acceleration factor. It was 4.96 times. Roughly what he'd estimated before. Returning from his soul, he then had Nails send the time to Amelia, prefaced by a warning that he was about to do so. She woke almost instantly after the final message to thank him, and not long after, Nails left, neither knowing nor having asked about what any of this was for. He was cool like that. In his shoes, Rain would probably have died from curiosity. The moment the flap closed behind Nails, Rain turned to pounce on Amelia. She, knowing him all too well, smiled and stated a number before he could even voice the question. After a quick retaliatory kiss, Rain opened his interface to work through the math for the acceleration factor she'd given him. Rain time acceleration, 4.96 seconds per second. Amelia time acceleration, 1.71 seconds per second. Tall hot, hashtag to do make clock, hashtag to do rumble rumble rumble. It turned out that Amelia actually had a higher coefficient than he did in the underlying formula. The difference, they supposed, was probably due to her having been awakened for longer, despite being newer to soul manipulation. Really, though, it could have been anything. Natural variation between people, the fact that she had never damaged her soul, her general awesomeness, on and on it went. Rain made sure to jot down some notes for later pondering. Amelia, meanwhile, stiff and hungry, decreed that it was lunchtime. Rain banished his interface with a flick, deciding that this was a pronouncement of both great wisdom and discernment. <laughs>